there's a family in Kentucky, and they had this Great Dane, this massive dog. He wasn't feeling well, so they took him to the vet. They did an x-ray, and they found something big stuffed inside his stomach. They weren't quite sure what it was, but whatever it was, they knew it needed to come out, so they performed an operation. And after a two-hour surgery, here's what they pulled out of that dog. Forty-three socks. <laughs> Forty-three socks stuffed inside the stomach of this big dog. <laughs> No wonder he wasn't feeling well. Man, I'd feel crummy too. Isn't it true that many of us feel kind of crummy because of all the bad stuff sitting in our heart? You know, those bad moments from the past and all the bad feelings that go along with it, the regrets, the failures, the disappointments, the embarrassing moments, the shameful things we did, or maybe the shameful things that were done to us. And every time we think about it, the pain's still there. In fact, it hurts so bad we can't sleep, rest, or concentrate. Wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to carry around that stuff anymore? Wouldn't it be great if there was actually a way we could just release and let go of all that stuff so it wouldn't trouble us or bother us anymore? Well, this morning I want us to listen to a man who learned how to do that. His name is Peter. He's the one that wrote this letter that we've been studying for the past two months. And this morning I want us to think about him, Peter, and what he went through and how Jesus helped him. See, back there in the first century, Peter spent most of his life outside in the outdoors, which meant every morning when he woke up, rather than waking up to the sound of an alarm clock, he woke up to the crowing of a rooster. And every time he heard that sound, he just hated it. It stabbed him like a knife, because every time he heard that rooster crowing, it reminded him of the most painful moment of his life, the night when he betrayed Jesus. And he didn't just do it once, he did it three times. Remember the setting on the night before the cross there in the upper room? Jesus uh, makes a prediction. He turns to his 12 disciples and he says, On this night you will all fall away. They found that hard to believe, especially Peter. Immediately he begins to protest. I mean, with great passion. He begins to declare his faith and speak his love for Jesus. Lord, I left everything in order to follow you. I'm yours for life. I've been following you for three and a half years. I'm not about to turn my back on you. I won't desert you. Lord, I'd rather die than let that happen. And when he said that, he sounded so brave and so noble. And yet that night, that very night, when it seemed like the whole world was caving in and it seemed like everybody else was turning against Jesus, so did Peter. And he did it three different times. Three times, in, in, the, in the strongest possible fashion, he denied he even knew who Jesus was. And after that third time, that's when the rooster crowed. And at that very moment, Jesus turned and looked at him, and Peter was devastated. In fact, the Bible says he went out that night and just wept bitterly. It was the worst moment of his life. Now, you talk about carrying some bad stuff in your heart. How do you get over a failure like that? Especially when almost every single day you're hearing that rooster crow, and every time you hear that rooster, there's that awful sin staring you in the face again. How could you ever wipe that terrible memory out of your mind? Well, the answer is Jesus. And I know that sounds really simplistic, but it's the truth. And it's all related to this phrase that Peter's going to use here in the very last part of his book, chapter 3 and verse 18. Peter talks about we've got to learn how to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. And because Peter learned how to do that, now the sound of the rooster that once bothered him and troubled him and caused, would cause him to become so depressed, 
Now that sound, the sound of the rooster would be a source of encouragement to him because it would remind him of all the things that he'd learned about Jesus and how he was constantly receiving and being blessed by his grace. Now I want to explain what that means. Three things come to mind. Because of Jesus, now for the rest of his life, whenever Peter heard the sound of the rooster, it would remind him that Jesus is Lord. He's in charge. He's in control, meaning he's the one who can make everything okay. I mean, think about it. On the very night where Jesus is being dragged through all these illegal trials that will ultimately take him to a cross, here's Jesus bound as a prisoner, and he appears to be totally helpless. And yet on this night, everything is happening just like Jesus said it would, just like he had predicted in advance. See, the very same Jesus that one day stood up in the boat and spoke to the storm, and instantly the winds and waves and obeyed him. The Jesus who cast out every demon that he ever confronted, and they always obeyed his voice. The Jesus that one day spoke to the fig tree and it just wilted at his command. Well, here it was happening again on this night. Here was the rooster obeying the will of God, crowing at precisely the right moment. I mean, think about it. What an odd moment to hear a rooster crowing in the middle of the night. Don't they normally crow early in the morning? And yet this rooster was not acting on his own. He was acting according to the plan of God. So here's Peter in the darkest hour of his life when it looks like the world is coming to an end for him and it looks like the world is coming to an end for Jesus and yet the truth is God is still in control. This is still his world and it always will be. And what he wants will prevail. And what does God want? He wants something good for you and me. So a bad memory becomes a good memory, and it's all because of Jesus. Peter learned that even in the darkest moments of life, Jesus is still in control. Secondly, for the rest of his life, whenever Peter heard the sound of the rooster, it would remind him that not only had he been forgiven, he'd been restored. See, on the very night when Jesus predicted that Peter was going to fail, he also made another prediction. Luke chapter 22 and verse 32, Jesus said, and Peter, when you turn back, and you will turn back because on this night, I'm praying for you. So, Peter, here on this night when you're going to fail, and you're going to fail miserably, not just once, you're going to deny me three times. But when you recover from that failure, and you will recover, then, Peter, here's what I want you to do. I want you to spend the rest of your days strengthening your brothers. See, Peter's betrayal was not terminal. Here, it was the greatest blunder of his life, but God wasn't finished with him. Peter could still not only be forgiven, but reinstated, and now he would end up becoming a source of encouragement to many, many others. Here in the night of his very worst sin, here was Jesus giving him hope. So the sound that once bothered him would now begin to encourage him. The, the, the sound of the rooster that once reminded him of his sin would now, for the rest of his days, remind him of God's grace and how amazing that grace is. And then thirdly, normally when you hear the crow of the rooster, it comes in the morning because that sound is a signal. A new day is dawning. Now, because of Jesus, Peter had a new life, a brand new life in front of him. So do we. Every one of us here, we have failed Jesus in many times and many ways. I mean, in big ways. We have let the Lord down. Every one of us here, we have heard the crowing of the rooster. And yet that doesn't mean that we've been kicked out of the kingdom. It wasn't the end for Peter. It's not the end for us. In spite of all the terrible things that we've done in our past, God still has a meaningful life for us to live. God still has a purpose for us. So how do we learn to put that past in the past and begin to embrace that future that God has in mind for us? Well, we've got to learn to do what Peter did. Every single day, we've got to learn how to grow 
in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Consider a contrast. On the night that Peter betrayed Jesus, he wasn't the only one that did that. Judas did too. But Judas's act of betrayal was fatal and final. Peter's wasn't. Why the difference? Well, the Bible answers that question for us in Matthew chapter 26. Listen to what it says. Here again, it's the night before the cross. They're in the upper room. Jesus and his 12 disciples are celebrating the Passover meal. And Jesus starts talking to them. And I want you to watch how the disciples respond to his words. Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 20. When it was evening, Jesus reclined at the table with his 12 disciples. And as they were eating, he starts talking to them. Truly, I say to you, one of you, I mean, they're all going to fall away, but one's act of betrayal is just going to be beyond anyone else. One of you will betray me. And immediately, man, that just hits them hard. They're visibly distraught. They became very sorrowful. And they began to say to Jesus, one after the other, each one of them, is it I, Lord? I mean, here's a heart that really cares. Lord, oh, I pray it isn't so. Are you talking about me? Is it I, Lord? And Jesus answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he'd not even been born. And Judas, who would betray him, answered, is it I, Rabbi? And Jesus said to him, you have said so. Did you catch the difference? You know, 11 of the disciples, they hear the words of Jesus and they are troubled, deeply troubled by his remarks. And each one responds, is it I, Lord? But when Judas responds, he responds in a completely different fashion. Is it I, Rabbi? See, for Judas, Jesus, he's a teacher, a great teacher. He greatly admires and respects him, learns a lot from him, but he's not his Lord and Master. He never really totally surrendered to Jesus. He never fully yielded his will to his will. He allowed Jesus through the years to inform him, but never transform him. I mean, think about it. Here's Judas. He heard every one of the sermons that Jesus ever preached. He saw every one of the miracles that Jesus ever performed. He saw Jesus put light in the eyes of blind men. He, he saw Jesus tell a, a paralyzed man to take up your mat and walk, and he did. He saw him heal lepers and cast out demons and raise the dead. He saw the love and power of God perfectly displayed in the life and ministry of Jesus. And all those years, Judas was impressed, very impressed. But though he greatly admired Jesus as a rabbi, as a teacher, he never trusted him as Lord. Over the years, he learned a lot from Jesus, but he never allowed the words of Jesus to actually affect and influence and transform his heart. For Judas, Jesus was his rabbi, not his Savior, not his Lord. Isn't it interesting in the New Testament, the Bible uses the word faith 243 times as a noun and 243 times as a verb. 243 times as a noun and 243 times as a verb. What does that mean? Faith has two aspects to it. It's what you believe and what you do with what you believe. Think about that first part, what, what you believe. How can you trust somebody you don't know? You know, someday I came up to you and I said, hey, you don't have to worry anymore. All you have to do is just trust my Uncle Scott. He's a great guy. Just put your trust in my Uncle Scott and know from this point on everything's going to be okay. Well, you're really going to struggle with that because you've never met my Uncle Scott. You have no clue who he is or what he can do. How can you trust somebody you don't know? You can't. Do you know Jesus? I mean really know him. Know him well enough that you're willing to trust him and actually be blessed by him. See, Peter says here, the very last part of his book, faith is knowing Jesus. Every single day you're, you're to be growing 
in the knowledge of Jesus. And that word growing is written in the present tense. It means every day you're knowing him more and more. You're knowing him better and better, more deeply, more intimately. And we're talking about the kind of knowledge that comes from personal experience. From personal experience, you're learning who he is and what he can do. But Peter says that's only one part of faith. It's not just what you believe, it's what you do with you, what you believe. You're not just to keep growing in the knowledge of Jesus, you're to keep growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. Grace, that's where you're actually allowing who He is and what He can do to affect and influence and change and transform your heart. Think of it like this. Let's say tomorrow you go to McDonald's for lunch and the lady behind the counter is just botching everybody's orders. So by the time you get up to the counter, man, your blood is boiling. You're thinking to yourself, man, can't we get some decent service here? This lady can't do anything right. And sure enough, even though you speak slowly and carefully, she messes up your order too. Man, you're ready to explode. And then you realize something. She's not speaking English very well. She's new to this country. I mean, she's doing her best to survive, but the reason why she's having such a hard time, she's an immigrant. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit brings this verse of Scripture to your mind, a verse you find in the book of Leviticus and the book of Deuteronomy. The verse that says, be kind to the immigrants among you, because you once were exiles in Egypt, and God says, and I brought you out. Now, there's two ways you can respond to that verse. You, you can respond in a mechanical way. Okay, God, I got it. If I must, I must. Yeah, we're supposed to be kind to others, so you stuff your anger and you just pretend to be nice. But that type of kindness is not a real kindness. It doesn't really come from the heart. Or the second way you can respond to that verse is you really begin to consider, hey, did you catch that? God didn't just tell us to be kind. He told us to be kind because of how he's been kind to us. Hey, David, wake up. Weren't you once a foreigner, a Gentile on the outside looking in? Weren't you once an alien and yet God willingly welcomed you and brought you in? He willingly and eagerly adopted you into his family? And when I not only think about what he said, when I actually begin to appreciate what God did for me, now his grace begins to melt my heart. And now something new begins to stir up on the inside. And suddenly I've got a whole new attitude about this situation and a whole new attitude towards this lady that's struggling behind that counter. Now I'm allowing the grace of God to affect who I am and how I treat others. Now it's not just what I believe, it's what I'm doing with what I believe. Louisa Stead understands this. Back in 1882, she was on a vacation with her husband and her little girl, Lily. One afternoon, they were lying out on the beach just kind of enjoying the view when they heard the desperate cries of a, a boy, a young boy out there drowning in the water. So right away, Mr. Stead, he responds. He goes running out into the ocean, swimming out to try to rescue the child. And yet that proved to be a real struggle because that kid was scared. In a state of panic, he was just thrashing about and wouldn't cooperate with all, at all. So because Mr. Stead, he couldn't get the kid to calm down, he just kept thrashing about. Eventually, both the man and the boy, they lost their energy and they couldn't remain afloat anymore. So here's Louisa Stead and her little girl just watching helplessly from the beach as they watched both the man and the boy go down. And they didn't come back up. I mean, it was a horrific scene just watching the two of them drown and you couldn't do anything about it. So on that day, she lost her husband and suddenly was left all alone with this difficult task of trying to raise that little girl all by herself. How do you carry on from a moment like that? Well, here's how Louisa did it. A couple years later, she wrote a song just to let everybody know how Jesus was making a difference for her. 
the lyrics went like this. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take him. I mean, really take him at his word. Just to rest. I mean, really lean upon his promise. Just to know, thus saith the Lord. He is Lord. Lord of this world and Lord of my life. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I proved him. Or and or, Jesus, Jesus, nobody more precious to me than Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust him more. See, it's not just what you believe, it's what you do with what you believe that every single day enables you to just keep growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus.